Your presence here this morning really is most extraordinary. Now, I don't mean that your presence here this morning is extraordinary because you're a person who likes to sleep in, though that may be true. I don't mean that your presence here this morning is extraordinary because, well, you don't have kids like all the parents do to help them get ready on a Sunday morning. Right, parents? I mean that your presence here this morning is extraordinary because, well, it's extraordinary that there is any church at all. It's extraordinary that you or I or anyone else for that matter would ever claim to be followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Extraordinary that we've even heard of this guy. Because by all reasonable accounts, the Christian church should never have even gotten off the ground. I think this uh, cartoon by Lunig uh, says it all. There's Jesus up on the cross. Uh, There's a couple of his uh, despondent followers there, filled with hopelessness. And the two Roman soldiers summing it up. Look at that. Brilliant. You kill the leader and you nip the whole movement in the bud. You know, that cartoon by Lunig, it's humorous, isn't it? Because we know that this Jesus movement would actually go on to be what it is today, the largest religion in the world. Um, Something like 2.3 billion people claiming to be a part of it. 2.3 billion. A movement that you and I would claim to be a part of. And yet this fact is just extraordinary. Sure, at the end of each of the four Gospels, we learn that Jesus didn't stay dead, that the cross wasn't the end for him, that he came back to life again. But we also know that Jesus, well, he didn't hang around for very long at all. We know that after he was raised from the dead, soon after that, he ascended up into heaven. He left. Now, at this point in history, the tiny fledgling church there in Jerusalem consisted of something like 120 men and women. That was it, 120 men and women. And there at the centre of this tiny Jewish sect were the disciples. The disciples now reduced to just 11 men. These 11 men who had proved themselves time and time again to be, well, to be a bunch of bimbos, basically. Guys who had proved themselves to be incompetent. Unable to grasp what Jesus has been on about. They've been full of doubt Uh, They're full of fear, and at times they've even been self-serving. Well, now Jesus has departed. He's gone to heaven, and now these fellows are the fellows who are in charge of the church. These are the guys who are at the helm. Think about that for a moment. Now, in, in my mind, that's a bit like putting me in the pilot seat of a 747. You know, it's got all the makings of an episode of air crash investigations. <laughs> Something is going to go terribly wrong. You've got to admit, the fact that the church ever made it past the first century AD, let alone the 20th century AD, is really quite amazing. That it ever grew from 120 people to 2.3 billion people? Remarkable. That it ever grew from this tiny Jewish sect into the worldwide communion that it is today, crossing national, cultural and racial boundaries. Incredible. Yes, your presence here this morning really is 
Most extraordinary. And so my question is this. How on earth did the Christian church ever survive the departure of Jesus? How on earth did the Christian church ever explode into what it is today? Well, welcome to the book of Acts. Let's pray. Our Father, we do want to thank you this morning that we are part of this worldwide communion, which is your church. And we pray that as we look at your word today, that you would uh, encourage us and challenge us to be the people you want us to be. Amen. Uh, Please turn with me now, if you haven't already, to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. You'll find that on page 770 of the small print, 1690 of the large print Bibles. Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. It begins, in my former book, Theophilus, in my former book, Theophilus. There you go. The first thing I want you to notice about this book of Acts is that it actually begins with a reference to another book. It refers to a former book, an earlier book written by the same author. See, this book of Acts is actually the second instalment, the second volume in a two-volume series. What is the former book being referred to? It's referring to the Gospel of Luke. You see here how Acts is written to some guy named Theophilus. So is the Gospel of Luke. And there's lots of other clues which show us quite convincingly that Gospel of Luke, Book book of Acts, go together. See, Luke and Acts are a little bit like my Neil Diamond greatest hits two-volume CD where there were just too many hits for the one CD. And so what they've done is they've put them on two CDs. But they go together. The same for the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. They weren't written on CDs, of course. They were written on scrolls. But you can only write so much information on a scroll, so they were written on two scrolls. It's two volumes. But like my Neil Diamond CDs, they go together. What is this book of Acts going to be all about, do you think? What's it going to be all about? Well, it's implied quite clearly there in the first sentence of the book. Read with me again from verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. There you go. What was the former book about? It was all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So what do you think volume two is going to be all about? That's right. It's going to be all about what Jesus continued to do and teach after he ascended into heaven. The book of Acts is going to be all about what Jesus did after he ascended into heaven. See, we call this book the book of Acts. But whose Acts are we talking about? Most commonly, people would call this the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And sometimes people call it the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But I think ultimately what we have here is the book of the Acts of the Ascended Lord Jesus. I like to think of Luke and Acts simply as phase one and phase two of Jesus' ministry. Luke is all about his earthly ministry, phase one. Acts is all about his heavenly ministry, 
phase two. And the first 11 verses of Acts, the verses that we're concentrating on this morning, well, they're really all about Jesus preparing his apostles for phase two of his ministry. These are the verses which cover the 40 days from Jesus' resurrection right through until his ascension into heaven. And it's during this time that we find Jesus preparing the apostles, the 11 remaining disciples, preparing them for when he's going to go so that they might continue on in his ministry. So he spends this time instructing them and teaching them. Look with me in verse 2. In verse 2, where we're told that before Jesus went up to heaven, he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, can I tell you that if I was Jesus, and you can be very glad I'm not Jesus... If I was Jesus and I had just been nailed to a cross by the authorities unjustly and left to suffer and die on the cross, and if God had then raised me from the dead in vindication, that I know exactly how I would be spending this time. There are certain house calls that I would be making. <laughs> I'd be knocking on the doors of Pontius Pilate and uh, King Herod and Caiaphas the high priest... And after I scared the living daylights out of them, I'd go on to let them know in no uncertain terms the big boo-boo that they had just made. But that's me. What's Jesus' priority during this time? What's his priority? His concern is not with showing himself to the authorities. His priority is showing and proving his bodily resurrection to the apostles and teaching them about the kingdom of God. That's what he's on about. See, in one way or another, the apostles are about to take on a central role in phase two of Jesus' ministry. And that's going to depend on them understanding that Jesus has truly been bodily resurrected. And it's going to depend on them understanding what the kingdom of God is really all about. So Jesus spends these last precious days on earth teaching them and instructing them, preparing them for that role. But there is another very important part in Jesus' preparation of the apostles. It comes one day as Jesus sits down and has a bite to eat with them. It's here that he instructs the apostles to remain where they are, to remain right there in the city of Jerusalem, not to leave the city, but to stay there and wait. Wait for the gift of the promised Holy Spirit to come upon them. Because it's in the coming of the Holy Spirit that these apostles will be empowered for their role in phase two. Read with me from verse four. Verse four. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them, that's the apostles, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water... But in a few days, you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's true, isn't it, that the apostles are about to take a central role in phase two of Jesus' ministry, but so too is the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's only going to be when the Holy Spirit comes upon these men that they'll be equipped with all the resources that they'll need to fulfil their role in phase two. 
See, at the moment before Jesus, what, what Jesus has before him is this frightened, incompetent, doubting, misunderstanding group of bimbos. But very soon, that's all got to change. Soon these blokes are going to go through an amazing transformation. You know, over the coming weeks, as we work our way through this book of Acts, we're going to see the Holy Spirit working in these guys so that they will be courageous, so courageous and so bold that they'll be willing to put their very lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. We'll see the Holy Spirit giving these men understanding and insight into the kingdom of God like no one in history has ever had it before. We'll see the Holy Spirit directing them where to go and what to do. We'll see the Holy Spirit validating their work through spectacular miracles. There'll be miracles of the healing of sick people. There'll be the casting out of evil spirits. These guys will even be able to raise people from the dead. Does it sound like anybody else you know? Yeah, in many ways, these bumbling apostles are about to become Christ-like. Why? Because very soon, Jesus himself will work through these apostles by his Holy Spirit. Do you see now why we might call this book the Acts of the Ascended Lord Jesus? In fact, we might even want to call it the Acts of the Ascended Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the Apostles. Maybe we might just stick to Acts for now. But you get the point, don't you? Very soon, the Apostles will be transformed. Soon they'll be Christ-like as Christ's Spirit begins to work in them. But just to show that the Holy Spirit hasn't come on them just yet, just to show that this transformation hasn't taken place just yet, the Apostles now go on to ask Jesus one of those questions of ignorance that we've come to expect of the Apostles. They ask Jesus if the coming of the Holy Spirit means that Israel is about to regain national independence. Read with me verse 6. Verse 6. So when they met together, the Apostles asked Jesus, Lord, are you, go are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, for the moment, the apostles still don't quite get it, do they? They're still thinking of God's kingdom in political terms, in a nationalistic sense, in terms of independence from Roman rule rather than the rule of God in the hearts and minds of men and women. They haven't been transformed just yet. So, so Jesus sets them straight. He doesn't come out with some direct no what he does is he tells them that they're not to concern themselves with this sort of question. That their priority now is with something else. Their priority is to be with phase two, their role in phase two of Jesus' ministry. That's what they're to concentrate on. And what exactly will their role be? Read with me from verse 7. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, listen to this, this is their role, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, that's it. That's their primary concern from now on. That's their role in phase two of Jesus' ministry. The apostles are now to be Jesus' witnesses. See, they've hung out with Jesus for, what, three years now? They've been with him since pretty much the beginning of his public ministry. They've walked with him, they've talked with him, they've heard his teaching, they've seen his miracles, they've observed his life, death and resurrection. And now the apostles' role is to go and tell others about all that they've seen and heard. With the help of the Holy Spirit, their role in phase two will be as Jesus' witnesses, testifying about him. Notice too, where they're to witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The witness of the apostles, it's now to be without geographic or cultural boundaries. The kingdom of God will not be restricted to national Israel. These apostles are to tell everyone about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, as we go on and we read the rest of this book of Acts... We'll, we'll see that this command of Jesus here in verse 8 is a bit, of a, um, a bit of a program for the rest of the book. Because after we see the Holy Spirit come on the apostles in the next chapter, in chapter 2, immediately we'll see them beginning to witness to their fellow Jews there in Jerusalem. And then we'll see them moving out into the countryside, into Judea, witness to their fellow Jews. and Then we'll see them moving into the areas of Samaria, and witnessing to, not to Jews, but Samaritans, those who were considered Jewish half-breeds and despised by, by the Jews. And then they'll move out, out of the Holy Land altogether, and they'll start witnessing in Gentile pagan regions like Antioch and, and Macedonia and Philippi, Thessalonica. And then some 28 chapters later, the book will finish with the witnessing of Jesus taking place in Rome. In Rome, the capital of the Jewish pagan world at the time. This is the role that the apostles will take in phase two of Jesus' ministry. Soon, the good news of Jesus Christ will begin to go out into all of the world. Well, after Jesus informs the apostles of their role the curtain finally comes down on his earthly ministry. Phase one is over. After these 40 days, Jesus has prepared his apostles and now the time has come for him to leave them. And he leaves them in spectacular fashion. Ascending up into the clouds, verse 9, look with me, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Wow, what a sight that must have been. Jesus lifting up in front of the apostles' eyes, lifting up into the clouds of the sky. But the apostles were the only witnesses to this event. As the apostles kept gawking up at the sky, we're told that two blokes suddenly stand beside them, two blokes dressed in white. Who are they? Well, we know they're angels, don't we? We know that all angels are dressed in white. Right, Matt? We know that angels are dressed in white. 
And we know that these guys are angels because these guys too have particular insight into what's just happened. Let's read from verse 10. Verse 10. The apostles were looking intently up into the sky as Jesus was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now, at first, I've got to admit, I find this a really bizarre question to ask. I mean, a man has just levitated up into the stratosphere. <laughs> Why do you think they're looking up into the sky? But it's not really the point of their question, isn't it? You know, we, we, they go on to explain. Look with me halfway through verse 11. Halfway through verse 11. This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So what special information did these angels possess? Well, they were able to tell the apostles that Jesus was now in heaven, but that one day he would return to them. So what was the point of their question about why you're looking up into the sky? Well, in my mind, it seems to be a bit of a, a gentle nudge. You know, it's as though the angels are saying, well, what are you waiting for? You've got your instructions, you know what to do, so go do it. Uh, time's ticking, time's wasting, time's limited. Uh, get on and witness because one day Jesus will come back and there will be no more chance to witness after that time. And that's it. With that, the, the fuse in heaven is lit and the spark of the Holy Spirit will soon come down and detonate in these apostles such that the gospel will explode into the far reaches of the Roman Empire. In fact, it's an explosion whose shockwaves would continue to be felt right around the world for centuries later. Yet even here on the other side of the world, in Chatswood, 2006. Not that any of us here this morning have ever heard the eyewitness testimony of any of these apostles firsthand. No, they've all been dead and buried for a good 19 centuries now. But what we have received is their eyewitness testimony written down. Written down faithfully in, in the books of the New Testament. See, it's in the pages of the New Testament that we learn for ourselves the truth about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in the New Testament that we see for ourselves our need to turn to him in repentance and faith. The eyewitness testimony of these apostles, it was written down. And then it's been passed on from generation to generation ever since. You see, how did you become a Christian? Well, I dare say that you became a Christian because somebody first took the time to show you the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wonder who that was. I wonder if it was um, a parent of yours or a, a Sunday school teacher or... Uh, somebody who once handed you a tract or somebody who left a Bible for you to find. I wonder who it was. Well, you know what? The fact is, whoever that was, they too came to hear about Jesus because somebody took the time to teach them about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And somebody them and somebody them and somebody them. All the way back to the apostles themselves. The witness of the apostles in the New Testament it's a bit like a baton 
that has been passed on for the last two millennia. A baton that has now been passed to you. A baton that is now in your hands. A, part, a baton that you must now pass on. So let me ask you, who have you shared the life, death and resurrection of Jesus with lately? Who are you passing it on to? Anybody? I hope so. It would be a tremendous shame, wouldn't it, after, if after all this time the baton were to stop in your hand. For the truth is, Christ has not yet returned, as we know he will. And so the task, for the time being, remains unfinished. We still have a story to tell to the nations. Yeah, friends, it really is quite extraordinary that you're in church this morning. Extraordinary that there is any church at all. Extraordinary that any of us have ever heard of Jesus. Extraordinary that the church ever made it past the first century AD. Extraordinary. But then again, we do have an extraordinary God, don't we? A God who has established his church through that special role he gave to the apostles, whom he worked in through the Holy Spirit. And a God who continues to work in ordinary people like you and me, who pass on that first witness about Jesus to others. And so this morning, I finish in prayer. This morning I pray that we might be a people who praise our great God for his goodness to his church over the centuries in establishing it and in maintaining it against all the odds. And I pray that we might now be a people who faithfully take up our part in sharing with all people everywhere the life, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that as we do these things, that we might do so in eager expectation of that great day when Christ himself will return to us in all his glory. Amen.